Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rising Stars Show. I'm Miriam Knight, and we have two amazing guests today, each with a different and insightful piece of the puzzle of who we are and all we can become. Our first guest is Yogi Amrit Desai. He is an internationally renowned yoga master, recognized as one of the pioneers of the authentic teachings of yoga in the West. He is the founder of the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, the largest in the United States, and the creator of Kripalu Yoga. Today, he oversees the Amrit Yoga Institute in Salt Springs, Florida, where, at 83 years young, he continues to refine his unique methodology of an integrated yoga practice as Amrit Yoga, which combines the spiritual dimension of authentic yoga with the physical practice of asanas. He is also the author of numerous books, and today we are going to talk about his latest book, Yoga of Relationships, a practical guide for loving yourself and others. Welcome, Yogi Desai. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Miriam. It is so nice to be on your show. Yogi Desai, you came to the United States from India to study art but ended up establishing yourself as one of the premier teachers of yoga. How did that conversion happen? Well, I did come as a yoga student because that was the only way I could come to the United States. But my love was yoga and art, of course. But yoga was connecting me to life more fully, and art was its expression. So obviously, when I came, I started teaching yoga, and within within very few years, I became my the yoga that I yoga society of Pennsylvania that I started in the Philadelphia area grew to be one of the largest. in In 1971, I had 150 yoga classes taught by myself and some of the teachers I had trained. So it grew very big when there was no yoga at all. So that is why this this yoga that I brought has grown so exponentially. And now I'm just so amazed to see how it is all over the world when it was not even local in Philadelphia at the time. That's actually a very interesting observation because yoga seems to be a phenomenon that is filling a place in modern society um, that no one would have expected. What do you think has caused the openness to yoga from Western uh, practitioners? What I see is that when I came to America, there was hardly any interest in health. There was only one health, health food store in whole of Philadelphia. There was only one gym called Goldie's Gym in Philadelphia. And there was hardly there was hardly any yoga. There were some here and there. But then since then I have seen 
the interest and, and the explosive interest in spiritual dimension grew in the days of the, what you call the hippies. When they started exploring their uh, new dimension of life through LSD, they came in touch with whole new dimension that was not explored so much in the West. And that is when, I think, that is when they started exploring the ancient teachings of India and yoga. And that is when I came and it almost everywhere I went uh, after 1971-72, I have developed about four different yoga organizations. And each one was grown before. So I, I was outgrowing one and starting another one. So it, I have seen an amazing growth. So in the earliest days, let's say, everywhere I went, in the bus, in the theater, in the hospital, <laughs> everywhere people were smoking. Well, there was a change. People were, there was hardly any jogging. I introduced jogging. There was hardly um, massage. I started massage school. There was hardly holistic health practitioners. I introduced that. So I had done a lot of new additions in this culture where they were all growing, but I was also very interested. So it was a uh, unique opportunity for me to bring something so new to the Western world. Now, the concern about health, you could look at it as kind of a Trojan horse for yoga because um, the the richness of yoga is complemented by the spiritual dimension. And you cover both in your book, The Yoga of Relationships. You, you marry the two of them in a very interesting way. Um, in the 60s that you mentioned, there was this kind of openness about love. There was a desire to connect with each other. Um, and you, you're, one of your chapters is called Loving Without Holding. Um, have you seen the consciousness, that openness that we felt in the 60s shift and what have been the changes that you've seen there? So what I have seen is, I think the Yoga of Relationship book that I wrote is very connected to the practice of yoga. That's why I call it Yoga of Relationship, because in the practice of yoga, you're learning how to re-enter your own relationship with separated part of you that has separated from the source of love within. That's why it is called yoga. And the same way, when people are exploring loving relationship, they, they are the one who is looking for the relationship in, from the other, expecting the love, expecting the love to come from the other, has actually not learned how to connect to the source of love within. And therefore, this, this is natural though, because that's an evolutionary stage. So human beings, have in general and in the practice of yoga, they have separated from the integrated source of oneness. Purpose of yoga is how to return to it. And purpose of tantric yoga or tantra yoga is also how to use uh, the relationship as a medium 
to return to the source of love within. I was struck by the fact that yoga means union, but also um, union with the divine is the object of yoga, and it really is uh, love of the divine and self-love. So in a sense, you could say that yoga means love. Yes, and a true love, the love that is, that is called unconditional love. That means if I'm giving my love, I have no conditions for, for it to be returned in any other form. It is giving from the heart that has its own intrinsic benefits because in the process of giving, one receives if it is given from the heart. You talk in your book about feelings of exclusivity and the the sort of cancer that enters relationships when you have expectations. And you talk about um, having the other mirror yourself. So really, it's through the relationship that you come to know yourself. I thought that was fascinating. Could you expand upon that, please? Yes, that, um, you know, Christ said, love thy neighbor as thyself. He's actually talking about your capacity to love other comes from having learned how to love yourself. And that is a different kind of love. He's not talking about selfish love that separates you from others, but the true love center of love. So this is the basis of yogic teaching as well. So that once you are separated from the source of love, you expect that love that you are not able to give yourself, you expect it to come from the other. For example, I cannot accept myself when I'm upset, when I'm angry, when I'm fearful, when I, whenever I am resentful. I cannot accept myself. But then we've tried to find a partner we say, I cannot accept myself, but I want to get married to you. Just love me as I am. No matter what I go through, I cannot accept myself. I am afraid of myself. I can't live with myself. If I accept, if I get acceptance from you, I will be, I will, I want to get married to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what most people are trying to do. And therefore, it's never working. And the proof is like, how many marriages fall apart? Uh, how many percentage and how many people just create more conflict in the marriage, in the married relationship than any other single relationship? So that, that is what, that is why today we are really missing how the relationship of love, yoga of relationship works. So I teach people and when people go through the training through me, their whole relationship with their parents, with their children, with their husband, with their wife, everything goes through profound shift. And their their husbands, they said, why are you going to t- study yoga? I mean, there is free yoga classes here. There are chief, why are you going there? And when they come back home, they see how loving they are, how accepting they are, that they find that that they are just so amazed to see such a transformation. That's fascinating. 
Well, we're going to have to take a brief break now, but we will be right back with Yogi Amrita Sai talking about his book, The Yoga of Relationships. A conscious lifestyle for a mindful life. Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Imagine receiving healing, vibration-raising energy as you listen to the radio. Energy that flows effortlessly to you. Imagine exploring all things metaphysical, sharing in an ongoing adventure. Join me, Karen Smoot, along with my co-hosts, Lisa Victorson and Wendy Weber, for Immersion into Source, Every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Home Radio. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Ohm Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Ohm Times endeavor. Host your show with Ohm Times Radio Network. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Join Elliot Jolish, the business therapist, each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern for the Elliot Jolish Hour as he interviews business experts on your behalf. And you're invited to email your business questions to questions at ecjgroup.com for answers live on air every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Elliot Jolish Hour. Free your mind with Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. And we are back speaking with Yogi Amrit Desai about the yoga of relationships. His book is a practical guide for loving yourself and others. Um, Yogi Desai, is there a website that we can direct our listeners to? Yes. Our, our website is www.amritayoga.org. Thank you. AmritYoga.org. Great. Now, just as you had a very unique take on relationships, you also had, for me, uh, an original and fascinating take on the notion of faith. Uh, faith has such um, connotations rooted in religion in the Western world, but you talk about it in relation to connection with source. Right. How, can you expand on that, please? Yes. I just now heard that uh, immersion into the source. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's one of the titles of this show. And that is so important. And that source is love. And that source is the soul within us. So most people do not know how to reconnect with it. 
So the only source of love that they feel is the one that engages them and gives them the sense of integration and oneness. That's what they find in the romantic love, which also gives a sense of merging, immersion into the source of love. But the source of love is outside, and that outside source is undependable. So even as you find yourself falling in love with the person, you find that it is not dependable because the person is changing. Your, also, your interests are also changing as the time passes. So such a love is very undependable. So then what is the best way? The best way is to really use such a loving relationship to get in touch with your own inhibitions and limitations that live at the level of ego mind. And once you learn through each other's help, it allows you to get in touch with the source of love as you help each other to get closer to the source of love within. What I found um, fascinating was your description about embodying or when you connect with that source of love, you then radiate love out into the world and you um, radiate it not only to your immediate lovers, your family, but um, to the world at large. Uh, and yet uh, you suggest that commitment to a beloved is really necessary to develop your, I guess, your self-knowledge. What, what would you say uh, is the purpose of commitment? The commitment means that whenever you, whenever you engage in loving relationship, as a support system to help yourself to get in touch with the source of love within. And then in that relationship, with that as an intention that allows each one to get back to the source of love within, but they are depending on each other to receive help. So for that, when you are in helping each other, that is that will also bring up your conflict with each other. As a result, if you make a commitment, then commitment will allow you to play the role of a witnessing presence. So you will not hold other person responsible when you feel when you are in conflict with that person. So that commitment gives you access back to your original intention, intention to support each other in self-discovery process, which allows you to get back to the source of love. It forces you to stand on your own feet and take responsibility for your own feeling of love exactly. rather than being the victim. Exactly. So then this is what most people do, is they expect the love to come from other. So who is expecting the love to come from other? One who has not yet learned how to receive the love from the source within. So expectation of love to come from other itself is moving away from the source within. So now we are looking for resources of love. The resources of love, they are more like the mirror reflection. It's like a moon reflected in the water. So if you jump in the water, no matter how good a diver you are, <laughs> you won't find the moon. So trying to find the love from the other is very much like 
trying to find it from the reflection of love. So source is within. So this yogic teachings, this were, this were taught several thousand years ago. They really knew how to find the love in the world. That's why I say, if you change yourself, whole world will change with you. So yeah. that is, that is why when you change, connect to the source of love within, you'll find all situations are in harmony with you who is in love within. You also point out the implications for our relationship with food that I thought was very interesting. Yes. So most people who are not, who are not accepting in themselves, oh, that means I am separated from the core, the real self that I am. So separated from the self, I'm looking for, and then separated means I am having conflict within myself and looking for relief. So people, they try the objects of love or pleasure externally, and that gives them a temporary sense of pleasure, and pleasure feels like integration of coming back to yourself, which is superficial. It is more like a, like a self-deception of finding something that makes you feel comfortable, peaceful, less of the mental and emotional agitation because something that is, gives you pleasure comforts you. But it's temporary, so it comes with the fear as well. So mm. most things like food or sex or uh, alcohol or, or business, anything that we use to distract our mind uh, is, is called an escape in psychology. You, you also write about forgiveness and gratitude with your own unique interpretation. Um, how, how would you characterize forgiveness in your approach? So forgiveness, in ordinarily what forgiveness means, means uh, my parents took to hurt me. They abused me. They did not take care of me. And I feel hurt. Well, parents may have behaved in certain ways that did not agree with your expectations. This is at the core. Expectation is at the core. But I say you failed because I expected you to behave in a certain way and you did not, so I hold you responsible. And then later on I come back and say, I forgive you. So what is at the cause? My expectation failed. They did not, they don't need forgiveness. I need to let go of my expectations. So expectations are separation from the source of love that is seeking from the other. When you don't find it, you hold them responsible and then you come out and, and, and forgive them. That mm -hmm. just, that's just, that's, um, just ego mind trick to create false kind of integration that doesn't really solve the real problem. So what I say is truth. When you see the truth that you are not connected to the source of love within you and you're looking for outside and then you felt rejected, unloved, abused, hurt, and there are many different ways that happens. So 
that is why in in yoga you learn even if it has been a some real abuse you can still find if you go back to yourself and go back to the source of love and then forgiveness comes from that rather than i forgive you that doesn't work now so many of us have complaints against our parents you seem to have raised some extraordinary children and i was wondering in terms of the relationship between a parent and child what do you think is the most important thing to observe well <clears throat> most important thing is that the that the the manner in which children and parents relationship goes is so cultural it is not real it is so amazing to me when i came from india in 1960 and when i read so many books about how children have been abused by their parents it just blew my mind in india we don't even think like that ever nobody has written any book how my life was messed up by my parents on the contrary in india we worship our parents like god and they guide us and when i saw such a complete reversal of it i was really amazed so when i went to college we t- we respect our teachers with great respect so i was in the classroom first time coming from india and we were all students were sitting in the class and the students were some of them were even smoking and with their legs on their they were sitting on the chair their legs on the table our teacher came and they were just like that i was amazed i said where is the respect for the teacher so i think this is a cultural thing and i think it's going in a wrong way because people are not res- taking responsibility for what they what they create for themselves justifying the resources of problem they come from seeking the resources of acceptance love and approval that just that is what is creating this problem well you know we're we're getting close to the end of our interview and i think we've given you a taste of the richness that is in uh, yogi desai's book again it's called the yoga of relationships a practical guide for loving yourself and others by yogi amrit desai and yogi desai can you give us your website again please yes it is www.amrit a m r i t amrityoga.org so i think we have many many such lectures and uh, articles and uh, and uh, clips of my talks i think people will get wonderful thank ideas. you so much for joining us today thank and you maryam it was wonderful to have you thank you and please stay with us for our next guest after these messages connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Hey ladies, do you want to have that good hair day feeling all the time? Gentlemen, would you want your special someone to have that glow letting you know she's feeling completely satisfied? This feeling and that glow can be yours by embracing your sexual power. So join me, Rachel Kenley, award-winning romance author on the O Spot. 
The O Spot will guide you to that peak with guest interviews, book discussions, and conversations on the thrills of sexual empowerment. Put the zing back in your life. Come up and see me sometime on the O Spot, live on Hump Day at 10 p.m. Eastern. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of OM Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of OM Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Have you ever wondered how to change your love paradigm? The secret key is finding a love partnership, not just a regular connection. How do you find these? Through conscious relationships. Ascending Hearts Dating is a dating site for people like you that believes in second chances and a different type of spiritual connection. Try Ascending Hearts for free today at AscendingHearts.com and change your love paradigm. Ascending Hearts, the premier dating community for the spiritually awake. The truth is, you can't change the world if you're broke. I know, I tried. Isn't it time you turned your life's calling into a profitable, freedom-based business? I'm Michelle Barr. Join me every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern for Sacred Success. The future of Internet radio is here. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. And we are back with our next guest, Toinette Lip. Born in London, Toinette had a long and distinguished career at Alfred A. Knopf, which is uh, now absorbed by Random House. In 1989, she founded Bell Tower, where she published 70 books that nourished the soul, illuminated the mind, and spoke directly to the heart. Her second book, Caught in the Act, Reflections on Being, Knowing, and Dying, was published in 2004. And um, after 50 years of publishing, Toinette abandoned editorial work and now devotes herself to teaching and practicing East Asian brush painting. She teaches on the Upper West Side of New York City. Now, today we are going to talk about her newest book, Nothing Left Over, A Plain and Simple Life. Welcome, Toinette. Thank you so much, Miriam. Delighted that you could join us today. Your little book is a memoir um, that the publisher of Random House kind of twisted your arm to write. Um, Joel Fotinos actually has been on our show before, and I'm so glad that he prevailed upon you because it's a delightful book. Tell us what the phrase nothing left over means. Why did you choose that for your title? Actually, it was Joel who chose that. He was, um, we were having dinner and uh, here on the Upper West Side of New York City. And I told him that I was planning to quit Knopf in 2000 on the day my son started work because I felt that I had paid my dues to society. And I was going to continue doing my editorial work on, at Bell Tower at home. And he said, oh, good. He said, then you can write a book for me. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I want you to write a book called Nothing Left Over. And I said, what, um, what would such a book be? I'd never thought of writing a book. And he said, it would be um, a primer on how to live simply. I said, Joel, everybody has already written about that book. The world doesn't need another book. 
about living simply. He said, the difference between you and everybody else is that they just write about it and you live it. And I said, in what way? And he said, well, when you go to make a cup of tea, you boil just enough water for yourself for one cup of tea. I said, of course. Doesn't everybody? And he said, no. And I said, well, they're wasting time, money, energy, and water. And he wanted to buy the book that night. So I said I needed to think about it and um, to decide whether I had enough to say. So I thought about it for a few days. And then I happened to be um, in a taxi with a friend and saw him on the sidewalk. So I told her quickly, stop the taxi. And I ran after him and said, the answer is yes. <laughs> so that's a very long answer to a short question. But well, you... it was basically about using what you have, what's available to you, and not always wanting something else that you don't have, because it isn't available. Do you think that mindset was cultivated by your upbringing in London after the war? Yes, during the war. I, I was born six months before the Second World War, and we were brought up to be very careful with everything, the bath water. The king never had more than six inches in the bath, so we didn't. <laughs> and all of the things like that, and everything was rationed. And I learned to use what we had and be satisfied with it. And then I came to this country, and when I got married, my, my husband said to me, what were your fantasies when you were a child? I said, fantasies? What do you mean? I didn't have any fantasies. And he said, everybody has fantasies. I said, well, maybe English people don't have fantasies because they've never been told they were meant to have them. <laughs> he didn't believe me, but there we are. Well, I, I know like my... The, I, I'd like to remain in the present moment. So right. in the present moment, there is what there is. And the fantasies seem to me to be not in the present moment. But you like, you like, your little luxuries. So, for example, you, you go into the book about how you bought this luxuriously thick Berber carpet in the souk of Morocco. Yes. But that was because I needed a carpet in the bedroom. Uh-huh. And this one presented itself. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't have bought a carpet, as some people do, just because it's wonderful, and then later try to find some way to use it. I did need a, a carpet in the bedroom. I didn't have one. And it did take five months to make and arrive, but it did arrive, and it's still wonderful. I thought it was intensely amusing when you discovered moths in your carpet. Yes, Moroccan moths. <laughs> in fairs. <laughs> and it took me a year to dissuade them, to kill them off. Uh, you you also point out that that was a real challenge for your Buddhist uh, inclinations. Yes. That's right. But I didn't, I, I didn't know what else to do. I tried, you know, sending them to a, a carpet cleaner and everything, but nothing seemed to work. It was just killing them one by one as they hatched. <laughs> it wasn't something I enjoyed doing, but at least... The carpet is now safe after all these years. How did coming to New York, to the publishing scene in New York, um, kind of shift your life? 
Um, because you had been in publishing even in England. Yes. I had been in publishing for three years in England, and um, there was there was one job that I felt would be perfect for me, but it wasn't available at another publishing house. And so uh, at a certain moment, um, the editor-in-chief, the then editor-in-chief of Simon & Schuster, Bob Gottlieb, who had been um, the editor of Joe Heller's Catch-22 and was sort of as... Um, the, you know, the, the best editor in the English-speaking world. I had met him um, the previous year when I had been visiting New York, and he was in my boss's um, room, and my boss was on the phone, so I slipped into the room to try and distract him because American editors are always very busy and don't want somebody to take phone calls. And he ended up asking me to come and work for him, which... It was the last thing on my mind. But then I thought, why not? And so I said yes. Not immediately, but I did say yes. And when I came to the United States, I realized that I had spent a lot of my growing up time saying no to a lot of things. And I finally realized that saying yes was A, easier and more productive and more enjoyable. You've always been firm-minded, uh, very self-disciplined, and, and probably quite self-assured. I was absolutely tickled by your description of how you got your electric typewriter. Can you share that with our listeners? Of course, yes. Um, so I was working for this very small independent publisher in London, Andre Deutsch, and I had an electric typewriter there. I come to New York City to this major publishing house, I'm an interested, and I'm given an old Remington. You know, I could type very fast, but I could type a lot faster if I had an electric typewriter. So after some weeks, you know, I said to the office manager, um, you know, I, I don't understand why I don't have an electric typewriter. And she said um, that she would order one for me and uh, nothing happened for some weeks. And so I went to her again, and I said, well, what happened to the typewriter? And she said, um, well, you know, I ordered it, but it's not here yet. And so I said, well, um, in that case, I'll just get on with reading manuscripts. I don't want to do any more typing on a manual typewriter. And she said, but Bob will be very upset. I said, no, Bob will not be very upset. He, he knows that there's a lot of work to do, and he's very good at typing on his own typewriter. He doesn't want an electric typewriter. I will wait. And she said, but I can't get it immediately. I said, fine, I'm not pressuring you. I will wait. I have plenty of other work to do. And, of course, she produced one in 24 hours. <laughs> now, your uh, lifestyle in New York uh, was kind of tailored to your work. You know, you were kind of um, making t- making a bit of room around the periphery uh, for living. When did that shift occur from working to live, uh, you know, to to including... Um, pleasure in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. People, um, I don't know. You 
met a lot of people in publishing, and I think maybe you realize that it's a 25-hour day um, job. You, all of the editing, the reading manuscripts and everything like that are done at home in your spare time. Um, and so, you know, even when I married and had a child, I think that all my son learned from me was that um, life was work. And so he he ended up thinking it would be more fun to play. And I had never really learned to play. It wasn't until I quit my job that um, in 2000 that I realized there were a lot of other things besides work. I just... You know, I've been working um, since I was 17 until I was 62, and it was a terrific thing to just draw a line in the sand and say, you know, now I'm going to learn how to play. It's a little late, but I thought it was worth a, a try. I don't mean that I don't work now. I do all kinds of work, but um, I try to put the play first. I'm not yet that successful. It's only been 15 years, but I'm trying <laughs> but you're trying. <laughs> I'm trying, yes. Do you have any uh, other books that you're working on at the moment? Uh, yes, I, I have one um, suddenly. Um, one of my authors, Gunilla Norris, um, I did four books with her at Bell Tower. She and I are the same age. I think I'm two weeks older than her. And we've known one another now for 25 years. And we've stayed in touch even though I'm no longer in publishing per se. She got in touch with me um, a year ago and said that she'd put together this book of days with um, passages about, but it's called On the Wing, lyrical moments. So they're, um, they're a haiku and there's nature descriptions, particularly of birds. And Lovely. Lovely. Days. Well, we're we're going to have to take a quick break now, but we okay. will be okay. right okay. back with our guest, Toinette Lip, author of Nothing Leftover, A Plain and Simple Life. Bringing you the best of the conscious minds in the world. Home Times Radio, your conscious lifestyle on steroids. Eros Evolution is where sexuality and spirituality meets. Join me, clinical sexologist Martha Tara Lee, on Eros Evolution on Thursdays, 4 p.m. Eastern on Home Times Radio. Being a radio host on IOM-FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Om Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Om Times endeavor. Host your show with Om Times Radio Network. What if business could be fun? What if business is the adventure of living? What are you choosing? Where do you do business that makes it easier, more fun, or more joyful for you? We'd love to see where you do business. Connect with us on Instagram at Joy of Business or Twitter at Joy of Business. And share your pictures with hashtags BusinessDoneWhere and Joy of Business. Let's change the world with business. 
come heal yourself. What is healing? Healing is nothing but connecting to your all-knowing higher self that already has solutions to all your problems and is always there to guide you. Through this show, we help you to connect with that you are and help you realize the innate potential you have to heal every aspect of your life. So come heal yourself every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern with your host, Monica Goyal. Namaste. Your Conscious Lifestyle on Steroids. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. And we are back with our guest, Toinette Lip, author of Nothing Left Over. Toinette, you write, There is one small rule that can be of enormous benefit to us, not only when we are engaged in work, but also throughout our lives, and it is this. Do and say nothing unnecessary. So, how does that work in practice? I think that uh, for the most part, um, we don't look out at the world um, or we don't look out often enough or not enough of us look look out and see what is needed um, in the world. And, and respond to it. Somehow we're turned in, in when our own little worlds and we either do or don't do the chores that are necessary. I think if we open ourselves up to see what there is there and not have any idea about whether we would like to do this or not like to do this, if, if there's a need, just respond to it. Um, so that perhaps it's the opposite to, to what you're asking because not only is do and say nothing unnecessary very good, but the obverse of that is doing what is necessary. So you don't do more than is necessary, but you do respond. If somebody in front of you on the street stumbles, several people will put their arms out to help. We it's, hope. it's an involuntary action and do whatever needs to be done to take care of that person. Um, I, I don't know whether I've um, really answered your question there, but um, it's not just about, it's not about skimping. It's about doing whatever needs to be done. Um, it's about exercising also, your judgment about what is really important to you in your life. And, and kind of paring away the, the distractions, the unnecessary frills that, that keep us temporarily amused, but really offer no particular long-term value in life. That's yes. what I got yes. from it. Yes. And so easy these days to be distracted by the Internet or whatever. You know, and you, you set off in the morning, you're going to do this, and it doesn't get done because you stumble over this or that along the way. Yeah. So one has to stay a little awake to remember, you know, what your plan was. And your book really is about your values and how they have served you. You you write that the greatest gift you can give to someone is your attention. Why is it that people find this so hard to do? I mean, you also describe how attention is related to space, both within us 
and without? How is space related to attention? Uh, over the, since I started brush painting in, in 2001, um, I only from that moment started to be aware of the great space in which we live and have our being. I hadn't focused on that before. It's very important, particularly in Chinese and Japanese brush painting, for the, the, the space in the painting, the empty space in the painting, is the focus of the painting. So there are just a few strokes, but they draw attention to the space. It's the same thing in, in our own lives. When I sit on my cushion in the morning, um, I open my attention to the space in my apartment. And um, rather than what I do for a lot of the day, which is have my attention on the objects in the space, but it's only first thing in the morning that I realize how wonderful this space here is in this room, in the other rooms, in the street, in the city, and that the space supports um, whatever is in it. And you can practice this in the subway or, or anywhere. Just open up to the space rather than saying, oh, look, a table or, or whatever it is. But in the space that holds the table. I also took a workshop from Kaz, and so I know exactly what you're speaking of. Oh, I have one yeah. of his swooshes on my wall. Oh, you lucky person. <laughs> and, and that really is a, a metaphor for what you're describing. It's, it's defining your space and looking at the meaning inside. Mm-hmm. So, um, you also have one of the chapters in your book called Offer No Resistance. Um, why is that important? How does that impact your life? Um, well, it's, it's a little related to what we were speaking with a few, about a few minutes ago. That is, when you see what needs to be done... You don't stop and think about it. You move into the situation. Um, And it's also connected with what you asked me near the beginning when you asked how my life changed when I stopped saying no and started to say yes. We can always think of things um, that would prevent us from doing whatever it is. But much better is just to take a step into the situation and respond to what we find there um, with our defenses down, not up. I think we all feel in need of self-protection a lot of the time. And that, um, that stops us from, from moving into the situation. So it's dealing with what is yes, exactly. as it comes. Does it also entail a certain modicum of faith that the universe is preparing our next lesson and that we should grasp it? Um, it that could be. There's no way to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we have to have the faith that 
uh, just to move into the situation. There's no telling what's going to happen, really. Um, sometimes things go well and sometimes they don't. But um, I, I don't have a sense of, of um, predestination or uh, working for results. Mm. Um, so I, I just try to see a need. Well, I try to recognize a need if it's there and to respond to it. There's, there's a concept in Judaism called tikkun olam, which is translated as repair of the world. So if you see something in the world that needs repair, then it's your job to respond to it. You're a great traveler. Uh, in fact, you have a very detailed list in your book of how to travel lightly, uh, but to be prepared for any eventuality, yeah. short of open heart surgery. Um, so what are some of the places that you found that you resonated with the most? No, everyone was so different. I loved the trip that I made with Kaz Tanahashi and uh, Roshi John Halifax in search of Dogen, uh, who was a Japanese uh, monk who went to China in search of the true Buddhism. We went for all the places all the, that he searched for the true Buddhism before he returned to uh, Japan and taught his, his monks there. Um, that that was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. But equally wonderful is like when I went to the World Sacred Music Festival and bought that rug you talked about, and um, to, to be in a place where people came from all over the world to sing in their traditional ways um, in in this wonderful medieval city of, of Fez. So I think those um, were two of my favorites. So would you say it's not necessarily just the place, it's not the architecture, it's really the cultural experience, the people? Yes, and and in most of the travels I've been with, or I have about 20 um, uh, accounts of all the travels that I did. I always wrote it out, but they were almost all pilgrimages of one kind or another. Um, in, in Do you have a blog? Uh, I do have a blog, but I um, don't post there very often. Um, but, so where do you write uh, up your travel experiences? I, I haven't thought of putting them on my blog, but that is probably a terrific idea. <laughs> <laughs> I what I have done on my blog is, is put passages from Nothing Left Over. Um, oh, I see. The, but, you know, I, I think you're right. Everybody is saying, why don't you... Um, read, um, why, why don't you make these travels available to everybody? But there, there, there are a couple of them up on contemplativejournal.com in the travel section. And I've also made podcasts there. But I think your idea of, of putting them on my website so anybody can read them is terrific. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes one doesn't see the obvious. You see. <laughs> and what is your website? Oh, it's uh, luckily nobody else had taken twinetlippy.com. So <laughs> so it's T O I N E T T E L I double P for Peter, E for Edward, twinetlippy.com. 
And there you can see all of my paintings and the cards and books. And one day you'll be able to read all of my travels, um, <laughs> which, which friends always call travels with Toinette. <laughs> travels with Toinette. They, it was like they didn't have to go to these places because I would write 20 or 30 pages about uh-huh. my experience. Oh, my goodness. Well, there it is. Our time is up, and we have been speaking with Toinette Lippi, author of Nothing Left Over. Thank you so much for being with us, Toinette. Thank you, Miriam. It was wonderful. And I hope you'll join us next week. And in the meantime, visit my website, ncreview.com. That's New Consciousness Review, where we have our magazine and lots of reviews. Thank you for being with us. Shine brightly, dear friends. The world needs your light. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.